0: And uh, I want to hit a hard truth as we listen to this last chapter. We ended a couple weeks ago before Head had the privilege of getting to come and speak about love and, and goodness. While he threw me under the bus to preach Kings 24 and now Kings 25. All around all that goodness. But it made me think of this. You know, we, we ended with the idea of, and we talked about weeks ago, if God is for us, then nothing can be against us. You know, it doesn't matter. But then we said two weeks ago, they said, well, what if God's against us? You know, and that's a hard truth to swallow. And then you had love last week. And, and here's the reality for it. When God loves you, even him being against you is for you. That makes sense. My wife, I hope, still loves me. You know, we ain't got 32 years, but we got uh, about double of seven years and, um, you know, all that going on. And I had this idea. I've been wanting these new shorts. You know, to show off my legs at the beach. So, I've been trying to buy, couldn't find the brand I normally buy, but I found another brand very similar. I was excited, so I bought the same size I always buy. Why are y'all laughing? I ain't even got to the funny part yet. So, I come home and I put those shorts on. Look, home be in the beach house for a week, right? And she laughs at me. Now you can laugh, because that's. And I said, What are you laughing at? You know, and she said, I think those shorts are made with people with smaller thighs. <laughs> now, that's when your woman loves you, right? Is when she says, I think the shorts you bought were made for... Now, she didn't say waist, at least. So that made me feel a little better, right? But out of love, she had to tell me a hard truth. Is that right? Because if not, I'd have went to the beach the next day looking like some funny dude walking around thinking these shorts were great when they weren't all that great. But my pride wouldn't let me, you know, do anything else. So I had to take him and exchange them. And, and what, but, but my point is that she meant good for me because she didn't want me looking like a fool. Right. So even when God's against us, what we get to especially see at the end of this chapter, now we got to get through some rough stuff at the beginning. But we see it in this is even when God is against us because he loves us, him being against us still has great motives. And it's for our benefit at the very end of things. Right. All right, keep that in mind. Let's pray and jump into the beginning of this thing. Father God, we love you this morning. We love you every day, Lord God. God, we just, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for, for things in our minds, Lord God, that just remind us. Things that we see, things that we hear, Lord God, things that, that were just read and things that will be preached. And they remind us, Lord God, of even though there's, there's rough, there's judgment, there's penalty, there's cost to pay, Lord God, you love us. And because you love us, Lord God, sometimes we got to go through some rough stuff to get to that great stuff you've got planned for us. God, I thank you for a, for a rough series, a tough book, Lord God. But God, I thank you that you sought enough and thought enough of your people, Lord God, to take these final four verses of this chapter and give us the true meaning of your love for us, Lord God, and with a good picture. In your great name we pray. Amen. All right. If you hadn't been with us, Kings is a very rough book to preach. I knew I was in trouble because when I said I was going to go to Kings, uh, Mitch told me, he goes, man, I don't think I've ever gone through all the book of Kings. I said, holy crap, I just screwed myself, right? When the guy who studied everything hadn't studied the book I'm about to preach. But it's been rough. It's been tough. But there's been some good stuff in it, hasn't it? There's been some lessons to learn. There's been some hard truths. There's been some some good stuff because here's what the book of Kings is. The book of Kings, me and Pax were talking about yesterday afternoon, is a book full of a very few amount of good kings, a whole lot of wicked kings, a heap of stubborn people, a lot of ignored prophets, and at some points, whether we like to admit it or not, an angry God. And while we think that's just in the book of Kings, if we're honest with ourselves, that's very much like today. We've got some good leaders, a few of them. We've got a lot of corrupt, messed up leaders. We've got a whole lot of stubborn people. We've got a whole lot of preachers being ignored, and whether you want to admit it or not, there are times that we make God angry because of what we're doing with what he's told us to do. But we do have a God that loves us. We do have lessons that are all throughout this book of seeking him, trusting him, obeying him, loving him, and not doing any of those stuff for any other God. And it's because Israel chose not to do these things that we read about unfortunate punishments, but... Sierra just read and and, and we read a couple weeks ago about this stuff. So even in the midst of judgment, here's what's cool before we jump into the to the bad part. Even in the midst of all this judgment, this final exile that we call it, you know, it's come to come to terms with, God still got hope. And maybe that's just good parenting advice. You know, in in the middle of judgment, in the middle of some correction, have a little bit of encouragement still. Have a little bit of promise still and and see where it goes. So let's look at this exile and what it means, because that's the beginning of the chapter. We went through verse 7 of 25 two weeks ago, so we're going to pick up in verse 8. And the same punishment they get in exile. And I don't want us to get, I think sometimes being in, in church your whole life, we, we mess up and thinking like exile is something like the exodus. So it's just like a routine thing. You know, remember all oh, the exodus. Oh, the exile. The exile is ugly. I mean, it is nasty. We're going to read some stuff from Lamentations. We're going to read some stuff from the prophet Jeremiah. On top of, you know, what Sierra just read for this week. I mean, it is an ugly, ugly thing. It is not just this common period of time for God's people where they got in trouble and, oh, they were, they were exiled for a little while and, and that be it. It is, it's bad. So I don't ever want us to like undercut how bad these 70 years are. And I don't ever want us to undercut that these 70 years are because the people, God's people, broke their covenant with God. So God had to do what God promised he was going to do. I'm going to kick every single one of you out of the land. You know, God is a God who is just. He's merciful. He loves us. But he's also a God who's a man of his word. You know, and he, he's going to he's going to stay to us. So here's here's the first thing we see in exile that we need to remember. The whole city's destroyed. Everything. There's no beating around the bush on what's left. And I put a little side note for us because we like to relate it to today's time. Sin destroys. They, they had sin. They disobeyed God. They didn't follow their end of the covenant. They they decided to be like everybody else and fall in love with all the stuff of the world. And because of that, there was destruction all around. Them. So if you're going to choose to do that, sin is going to destroy. If you look at verses 8 through 12. And you look at just how bad this city is completely destroyed and annihilated. You got to picture what that would be like for us. If somebody was to come into your town. Start burning down houses. Burning down churches destroying every building that's there, raiding every building that's there, taking everything of value and just leaving nothing but burnt embers at the end. Probably the closest picture all of us are thinking of when we think about this would be September 11th. September 11th would be, as bad as it was, would be nothing in comparison to what this is because September 11th was one area. You know, two areas if you count the the other plane. And not to undermine it, bad. But this is every city in this whole nation being destroyed this way. I mean, this is ugliness. This is this is nastiness that's taking place. They're not just seizing a territory. They're destroying everything in that territory. Limitations that Jeremiah writes, and he goes through, he, he destroys the houses of the Lord being burnt down, the houses of people being burnt down, the walls being taken down. And he even says that the people were foolish enough to think that this couldn't happen to them because they were God's people. How foolish are we sometimes to think that bad stuff can't happen to us because we're God's people? I wonder sometimes if God just sits back and laughs when we have that mindset. I remember, you know, since, since COVID is, is hitting so bad again, unfortunately, I remember sitting with somebody and, and they were, they were talking about, you know, this and that and their beliefs and all that kind of stuff and all that to yourself. Whatever. Don't care. You know, we all got our own on that. But I remember telling us, man, I'm not going to get COVID. And I was like, man, how do you know? Like you're not going to get like, it's one thing to say, you know, I'm young. I can make it through it or whatever. But how do you know you're not even going to get it? He's like, oh, I'm a Christian. <laughs> now I don't know about you, but I've been reading a little bit about this stuff. And I had not read anything that said no Christians have gotten it because they're exempt from COVID. I, call me crazy, but I hadn't read that. And not to just undermine science. I, I've looked in scripture and I hadn't seen where it says, and all of my people will be immune to diseases that I send to the land. There's no verse like that anywhere. Do we understand that? Are are, are we okay with understanding that? Because you are a believer, I, i just want to make sure we're clear, because Jeremiah gets big on lamentations. We don't have time to go into it. He gets big on them, and he's mad at them because they've got this belief that they think it's impossible for something bad to happen to them. And I just want to make sure you understand, like, I hate to be the bubble popper, you know, first Sunday back after a good week at the beach and tell everybody, bad stuff can happen to you, okay? Like you are not immune to bad stuff. You are not immune to like things not going great for you. You are not immune to to diseases or or, or pain. It comes. Jesus himself, when he sits with his disciples and he tells them, he goes, guys, I, they're trying to kill me. What do you think they're going to do to you? Like, I don't even have a real house. You know, think about it. You realize Jesus never really had a house after he started ministry. Have you ever really thought about me? Yeah, he had a house when he was with mom and dad. And we don't really know if he had a house when he was a, a late teenager, early 20s, because all we know is, it's about the age of 30. He comes on the scene and he never gets to say, well, I'm going back to my house. He sleeps in a boat. He sleeps on a hill. He sleeps by the shore. He sleeps at a neighbor's house. He sleeps at a friend's house. He sleeps at a disciple's house. So what makes you think that you're immune to stuff if Christ himself while on earth wasn't immune to stuff? Sin destroys. Sin has consequences. So limitations, as Jeremiah writes, he goes, look, guys, because you thought it was so impossible it's happening. Not only is, is your homes being destroyed, but your entire city is being leveled. Like there is nothing going to be left. And you can say it this way. This is all because you were disobedient because you trusted in things you shouldn't have trusted in. I wrote it down this week and, and this way I really liked it. That maybe this is big for me, not big for you, but when people have false assurance, they lose their desire for obedience. I think part of what God's got, got God's people in so much trouble here at the very end Was they had this false assurance that because of the title they wore, that they didn't have to worry about things. anymore. We get a false assurance, guys. We lose our desire for obedience. And I think that's real true in the church today as well. Sometimes and and sometimes we as a church, as an organization, that's why you wonder why we're so big on like trying to get the fellowship all back ready and Sunday school back going and. And and Bible studies and group meetings and stuff. It's because of this. The church sometimes does a false assurance of telling people everybody's saved. Everybody's going to heaven. Or as long as you make it to the river baptism off his dock, you're going to be a-okay. That's a lie. False assurance leads you to a lack of desire for obedience. Is that true? Do we understand that? Because that's a huge thing for us to grab a hold of, guys. What got them in trouble is they lost their desire for obedience because they had a false assurance. So sin destroys. Second thing sin does. Just looking at how bad exile is. Verses 13 through 17. All their possessions are stolen. I mean, you read 13 through 17, and they lose everything. So you could say it this way for us today. Sin leads to loss. Sin destroys, sin leads to loss. Isn't there a verse in the New Testament about the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Is that not exactly what's going on right here? Sealing, killing, and destroying, right? Look look at this. Now here's how we know, all can decide. I joke sometimes, but it's serious. Right, We know these guys weren't Baptists. And here's how we know it. Because when you read 13 through 17, they let their pots, their pans, and their utensils get stolen. You know there ain't no Baptist going to let you take my fork. You know what I'm saying? From me, so that I might not get to eat on the exile. Am I right? This is how bad it is, guys. As funny as that is, and as bad as that may be for some Baptists. <laughs> yeah. This is how bad they, they've gotten. They're getting so much stolen from them that even their utensils, their tools that they were working with is being taken. And, and not because they want to be able to use these tools, by the way, and because they want to be able to eat this stuff. They're stealing this stuff because it's the only monetary value they have left. They're being left with nothing. Sin destroys and you lose everything. Everything. Look at this. Anything of value they stole. And then it lists two specific things except for their meanings totally changed so look at verse 13 remember the writer of kings was always about the high places and god's stuff so so he directs his attention to two particular things that are stolen verse 13 it says now the bronze pillars which were in the house of yahweh and the stands in the bronze sea which are in the house of Yahweh the the Chaldeans they broke into pieces and they carried the bronze valve so they they couldn't tote it all at once that tells us it was heavy it was big so they shatter it they break it they carry it 12. And then in verse 17, it says the height of one pillar was 18 cubits, the bronze uh, and a bronze capital was on it. The height of the capital was three cubits and a network of pomegranates on the capital all around all bronze. And the second pillar was like this in this network. So does everybody remember what we're talking about with the pillars? I know it's been a real long time since we've been at first Kings chapter seven. So if you go back to first Kings chapter seven, here's why the, the writer of Kings is so interested in this. And here's why it's. Such a sad lesson at the end of the book. First Kings chapter seven, I'm going to read 15 and 21. These are, these are what Solomon built and said he fashioned the two pillars of bronze, 18 cubits at the height of one pillar and a line of 12 cubits measured from the circumference of both. Verse Thus he kept the pillars at the porch of the nave and he set up the right pillar and named it Jachin, And he set up the left pillar and named it Boaz. So these are the pillars Solomon built to signify something to all the people of Israel when they saw this. So when they saw this, they would walk in and they would know this. Joachim meant he shall establish. And Boaz meant in it, in it is strength. So if God established it, then it is strong. Make sense? So here's the sad part. Now, if you go back to limitations and you're reading what Jeremiah wrote and what he's getting on these people about, who does he say is causing this final exile and destruction? I'll give you a hint. We've said it for three weeks in a row. Well, other than last week. Is it the bad guys? Is it Satan? The Lord. So when you read this and you grab a hold of this, now the the Lord is causing all this. The Lord is planning all this out as far as the final destruction. And that tells me then that the Lord is doing what? He is removing what he established and he is taking away its strength. So when they saw these pillars come down, guys, this wouldn't just be something of bronze and something of value like the, like the enemy's looking at it. They're realizing we are no longer strong because God is removing his strength from us. We are no longer even established because God had established Israel and we, we are no longer even established as, as a group here. And it's not like the enemy's taking this stuff to treasure it or, or put it back in a museum or nothing. Because in verse 16, the only thing the enemy says about this stuff is how much it weighs. I mean, that's it. That's all the enemy looks at. You know, the people of God would be, they'd glory it and, and, and just shine at it. They would remember it every time they walked into the temple. I mean, it would be something big for them. The enemy gets this stuff. They're not looking at the artistic structure. They're not looking at the beauty. They're not talking about what it used to mean to the people. All they say in verse 16 is look what this stuff weighs. What they're saying is this. What these people looked at for so much strength and establishment is nothing but scrap metal does. And that's what the enemy will do, guys. The enemy will take something that valued to you, that led you, that that was symbolic to you, that was awesome to you. And it become nothing but scrap metal. And that's what they're doing. Nothing but scramble. So, so they're stealing everything. They're losing everything. <coughs> Third thing exile leads to. All their leaders are killed. Look at 18 through 21. And I put it this way, going back to, going back to sin. So sin destroys. Sin makes loss. Sin removes leadership. And the book of Proverbs tells us where there is no leader because there is no vision, what happens? The people perish. So you can think sometimes, man, we just need those, those leaders removed and we just need this. No. (laughs) Even as bad sometimes it is, God has established leadership for a reason. Okay. That's why even in your house, there's, there's, there's symbolic of the leadership and everything that's set in place, right? But when the leaders are killed, and and that's what the enemy wants to do. So look at it. The, the, the the Babylonians, they know exactly what they're doing. They're gathering all these guys that rebelled against Babylon. They're gathering all these guys that would have encouraged them to stay and fight. They're gathering all these guys, 72 leaders is what the verse said, in this city. And it said they brought them before Nebuchadnezzar and they put them to death. What the Babylonians are doing is this. They're taking all the people that could have been leaders, all the people that maybe at one point in the future could have caused a revolt, and they're eliminating them. So they're looking at these people and they're saying, there's going to be no hope of an uprising. There's going to be no hope of winning your freedom later from this land. Anybody who had the ability to lead you is gone. Total destruction, guys. And even look at the enemy today when sin comes about and the enemy tries to attack church. Where does he normally attack first? Leadership. Leadership. When the enemy wants to destroy a marriage and a a household, where does he destroy first? Or at least where does he attack first? Yeah, because you're the head of your house. You got it. He's going to get on you as much as he can because you're the leader of your house. If he gets you to fall... He's got the family destroyed. And the bad part is this the enemy's so good at doing what he's done because he's been doing it for so long that maybe you don't fall as a leader. Maybe you just waver a little bit. Maybe you get a little weak at the knees a little bit. But then he's got you where you can't defend those around you. So then what does he do? Oh, that joy of passing that test? I'm going to take that away. Right? And yeah, you may stay strong because you've got strong faith. But if I can get you weavered just a little bit, oh, then I got three more. You see how evil he is? See how corrupt it is? That's his plan, though. Start at the top. And even if he doesn't win at the top, that's why the top's got to be so strong. Because even if he doesn't win there, he's going to work his way on down. little punk, right? That's all. I mean, that's all he is. Let's just call it what it is. Think about it. If he can't beat number one, what does he do? Number two. Number three. Number four. And and he'll work his way on down. Because he don't like losing. Nobody does. Right? So he's going to find somebody in there that he can get. And here's what he wants to leave the people and I think here's what the enemy, the plan of our enemy wants to leave us as well. Defenseless, demoralized and utterly hopeless. If you could put yourself, now you got to keep in mind one thing I've said before that I hope everybody gathers. The writer of 2 Kings has to be somebody who made it to Babylon. So he's writing about this stuff from first hand penmanship. He's witnessing all this. He, can you imagine the tears when he writes this stuff? We were defenseless. We were demoralized. We were utterly hopeless. Because during exile, we lost everything. Everything. So much so that what they couldn't what they could burn up, they just kept. And who they couldn't put into prison, they just killed. There's some writing, I think in Limitations as well, where it talks about so many people were killed, it was like the sand at the seashore. Now we know 15,000 were led into exile. You take some numbers from... A lot of the different writings have put it together. Roughly 15,000 marched their little happy bus, hundreds of miles bound by chains into a foreign land to be slaves. Right? But it said that so many died that there was like sand on the seashore. Guys, I just come back from the beach. There's a lot of sand on the seashores. Can you imagine if every, every grain of sand was a death? I mean, this was not a pretty thing, man, and we have to understand sin and the consequences behind it are not pretty. Most were killed, yeah. You can sit there and have this hope of, man, few survived. What did they survive for, though? Have you ever talked to somebody who survived something like really rough? Sometimes you talk to somebody who survived something so rough, they'll, they'll get to a point where they tell you, I almost wonder if it would have been better to have just died like they did. Have you ever looked, because what we have here is almost like a, like a present day or, or um, past idea of like Holocaust type material. You ever looked at some of the pictures of those guys and ladies? You ever looked at their bodies and, and and how much they had to go through and and, and even the survivors? And you ever wondered, man, I, I don't know how they even made it like that. I don't know how you'd want to go on. I bet a lot of them didn't want to go on. To be honest with you, that that's what's happening right here. The enemy is leaving them with absolutely nothing. So now that that stage has been set before we jump into this next little lesson right here, I gotta ask, you, you ever been there? You ever felt like you got nothing left? You got no family. You got no place to stay. You got no job. What you do have might even be being destroyed currently as you have it. Right? That's where these people are at, literally right here. And it's all because they refuse to yield to the truth of God. They put on a show of religion without fully yielding to him. They made allegiance with their mouth, but their heart was so far from God. It wasn't even they faked it. You can't fake it. But so long. You can't pretend. But so long. Right. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10, 26 through 31. The writer kind of goes back to the the same idea. The idea is this, a warning against deliberate sin. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now there's verses we don't hear preached all the time, huh? What's he he saying? Let's understand it because if we're going to say it, Lord knows I don't want you to read it, hear it, and then walk out of here not knowing what it meant. What does If you know, if you're deliberately going to sin and after hearing true knowledge, there no longer remains a sacrifice for your sins. God does, He's not sugarcoating us. But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire? You won't know what's left for you if you choose to ignore the knowledge of truth that you've been preached about? What's left for you is a terrifying expectation of judgment. You're, you ever got in trouble? I, I, we, we did a tour of the school yesterday. My best years were not at Greg Middle School, okay? I need to go ahead and just be honest with you guys. Middle school was bad for me, right? Because I chose for it to be. I'm not blaming anybody but myself, right? But walking through those halls, I remembered quite a few things that I wish I didn't have to remember, right? But I remember doing them in those halls and doing them on this corner and doing them down in the field. It was about a lot All kind of places. You boys better not ever be in those places, Right? So, so, so all those, all those places. But here's what I really remembered. It wasn't the fun of doing those things. It was the moment after, coincidentally enough, Beth was there, a new principal, right? And I remember walking with the principal down the hall a couple of times too. Except for it wasn't all hunky-dory and sharing stories. It was, man, she's going to call her. he's going to call my parents. And I'm going to get this fancy little yellow paper to take home and, and get signed. And, and I may get to stay home a day, but, that's not like a vacation. That's going to be a really bad day. Um, and I may even, I don't get to stay home. I'm going to come back and I'm going to get to sit in this one little room, you know, that's just designated for the best behaved people in the school. Um, and let us hang out together and you remember being in trouble like that and worrying about what the judgment, the punishment was going to be? Some of y'all ain't never had a good tail whipping. You know, it's not being serious. Like you don't, you don't know the fear of judgment because you ain't never had that strict punishment. Like And I don't care if if, if you say, well, we don't believe in B. I bet you ain't never had that Xbox ripped out the wall and thrown in the trash can either. You know what I'm saying? I bet you ain't never had that TV remote taken away. I bet you ain't never had them car keys stripped away from you. Right? I I can go with all kinds of different stuff and we can make punishment real bad. Could you imagine having the knowledge of truth, not following it, and what this verse says, but a terrifying expectation of judgment. That's what's rewarded to those who choose not to listen. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without what? Mercy. Based on the testimony of two or three witnesses, how much worse punishment do you think one deserves that is trampled? Here's why he's so mad about it, guys. In case you were wondering, like, man, why why did God totally flip the script of this New Testament? It's all about love and and grace and mercy. Here's why. Because you trampled on the Son of God and the blood of the covenant which was to sanctify you. You've insulted the spirit of grace. Wow. Now you see why God's mad? Because he shed his blood and he sent his son to die. You, you want to know why it, present day for you, just so you can just grab a little bit of the emotion that's tied up with God right now. You, you want to know why some of your, your your parent veterans get so mad when they see some of the stuff they see that you have the freedom to do in this country. And you do have the freedom to do it, whatever you want to argue, right? They do. Best thing I ever heard was a was a was a was a seal telling me one time, man, I, I die so they can do that. You don't make me mad. I die so they can do it. I said, man, I, that, it makes me mad. I didn't serve. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't know how you can. He said, no, I, I do that so they can have that freedom. That was his attitude. But could you imagine if that same dude gave his life? And you trampled all over his stuff while his mama and his daddy had to sit there and watch you trample all over it. Now you get a present day emotion. Of maybe what God's feeling when He gets to this part, and He says, "All you did was trample the blood of my Son that went to the cross to die for you." Basically, God's basically saying, "Man, you spit in my face. That's why I'm mad." Judah, they got no king. Temples burned. Every house is burned. City destroyed. Everything of value that could have been left is stolen. The Jews are uh, exiles complete. Fifteen thousand uh leaving on the exile. The rest are killed. And then you get to verse twenty-two. And this, this is just like a, 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 seasons of grace right here, right? Cause verse 22 it says, now as far as the people who were left. Now the first time I read it, I had my, my theology glasses on, right? And I was like, hold on. God made a promise. Nobody gonna be left in this land. How somebody left? Right? You got, if you're gonna preach for the word, you gotta also be ready to defend the word. It don't need your defense, but unfortunately in this world, there's gonna be people to come out, right? So I said, hold on now. It wasn't supposed to be in this spot. First thing I feel. who are these people? Who are these people that are still in this land and why are they there? First people. you got poor people. Verse 20, or Chapter 25, verse 12, it told us flat out. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land. Why? So they could be vine dressers and plowmen. So they're left in the land. They cut your vote. But they're slaves now. That's all they are. All right, so that's one group. you got a second group. Now, to get these last two, you got to go to the Book of Jeremiah. Second to Jeremiah, chapter 40, verse 7. It says that those that were hiding during the battles then came out. So you got a bunch of chickens to go with the country folks who are now slaves. Right? That's all they were. That's what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah said they were hiding. They were afraid to fight. They were afraid of doing things. So, So then they come back out and they're like, oh, we're the only ones left. And then this third group. Third group was the foreign Jews that were living in other lands that have now returned. That's Jeremiah chapter forty, also verses eleven and twelve. So you got people who had been away and they come back into this land. And I, I'm wondering, I'm like, all oh, right, God, what, what, it, what? It, and here it is, because we've seen it throughout King, First Kings, and Second Kings, and every other book of Scripture. God gives them one more chance. This guy comes in in twenty-two through twenty-six, and, and he comes in, goes, "I'm appointing a leader. You're not going to have a king anymore. He's just going to be a governor." He's not going to be part of David's bloodline anymore. All that, all that's been stripped away from you. You don't get that right no more. And I'm putting, it, you got one more chance where the people could finally have learned and finally have been able to stay just, just this last little group. But what did they decide to do? The Sierra Red? And you're now looking back over? They revolted against the guy that was put in charge and out of, what did, what did, uh, Hebrews call it? Out of the fear of judgment, what do they do? They flee. It's on your page. Just look, it's open book test. They flee to Egypt. They flee. They get run away. Half of them, you can imagine, in that runaway die. Half of them become slaves. And what's left of them, you know, they have they have no life promised to them. But now they're there. That's it. The last little bit is now out of the land. Just like the Lord said it would be. Even after that very Last chance. And and the writer of Kings puts a dot, guys. Puts a period. I don't know if they, I don't know if they called him a period in Hebrew, right? But but he puts that down. And and I picture it this way. And I don't know if this is the way it was. I don't know how fast the Spirit was working with the writer of 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 Kings and and whatnot. But I picture he pauses for a period of time. And 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 I'm prove why why I really think this is this is true, right? And then I picture like something something goes off in his head and he remembers something while he was in Babylon. Remember, this is a guy who made it there. And he starts writing verse 27. He says, 26 isn't the end. The Holy Spirit has inspired me to remember one more thing. But he remembers this one more thing 37 years later. Could you imagine thinking that was the end? That was the end. That was it. Everybody's gone. Boom, credits start coming up. Could you imagine if movies ended that way? You wouldn't buy so many movies. You wouldn't. Because they'd leave you depressed and hating life and no joy, no hope for the future, right? And that's where this guy's at. And 37 years go by and he writes nothing for 37 years. That's a long time, guys. And then verse 27, though. And the Holy Spirit reminds him of Of this one thing that happened. Now, this is the way I related it when I first started and and, and grabbed a hold of what God was doing. I was going to pick on him. I'm still going to pick on him even though he's not here because he's probably watching online with his back pain because he's like 38 but has a body of an 88 year old. Right? That's why he lives next to Danny right there. Two two young bodies that are really old living close to each other. Right? (laughs) So, So Jeremiah comes down from Maryland six months ago, right? First thing he wants to start doing is, man, you got a lot of old tires. I said, yeah, I make money on them things. You know what I'm saying? I bought them here. I got them on a deal, or, or I took them off of this, or I bought a warehouse that closed out, or, or whatever, and he starts rolling through them, and he goes, man, this tire ain't been moved in 10 years. I can tell by the way it looks. I said, well, rotate it one time on the rack and set it right back down. So <laughs> I was a hoarder, right? And here's the phrase I would always use. I'm saving that for a day where somebody needs that particular size, and I can make really good money on it, right? Y'all know any hoarders in your life? (laughs) Why is only this side of the room raising their hand? Are y'all like the proper side? Huh? Y'all ever know any of them? We're not going to call them older because that's not polite. We're going to call them wiser. But we all know who we're talking about, right? Y'all know any wiser people who just got like coffee cans full of stuff? Y'all know people that got like baskets at the house that like when you get all the all the little screws and stuff for putting the bed together. And you got like one extra one. You you save it. Why? Because there might be a day where you need it, right? I picture all daddies do that. It's in our DNA, right? I picture this this moment. I just didn't really. Please understand. This isn't really the way it probably happened. Okay. This is just a good picture for us with this illustration. We we'll grab a hold of it. I picture. Abba, being that daddy that's got stuff that he put on the shelf for a little while, right, and I picture one day like a, like an angel or or whatever you want to use the illustration for, right, comes up to Abba and he says, "You know, father, why why is that guy still in prison? What's he still doing there? Because there's going to come a time when I can give him one last use, right?" Now, I may be way off on that whole illustration, but it makes you think, right? Because you got to wonder, why why this guy? Why why the guy that's been in prison for 37 years that got locked up at 18? You ever know anybody get locked up at 18 and not get out to 55? Their life's gone, man. The prime of life is gone. That's this guy. But but here's what we know about it, because I want you to get in the full picture, right? When I tell you, I know for sure God was saving this for later. Here's how I know it. This is not a guessing game. It's not like a cool preacher illustration so that that we can all relate. This is real. Go to the book of Jeremiah. By the way, who was a prophet who was widely hated and persecuted, but he was extremely faithful. Guy gets locked up for preaching against his own people, right? Because he's going to preach the word of the Lord. But the people think, oh, he's against us. No, he's for you. He's trying to warn you. Right. So this is a preacher like you didn't want to see him coming. Like if you saw the flyers about revival, you ain't going to it because this guy's going to preach destruction. He's going to preach your life is over. You're going to preach bad stuff. Right. Like nobody wanted to hear this guy. But in the middle of all this doom and gloom. Right. God's got these little these little sprinkles. You could call them. Right. They get delivered throughout this time in the midst of this doom. God, God has some of his brightest words, I would say. So if you go to Jeremiah twenty nine which I know all of you in this whole building have used at least one verse from. Now you're going to know when that verse was written so that you don't ever misuse it again. right? But you go to Jeremiah 29. This is a letter. So understand where we're at. This is a letter Jeremiah's writing. I'll tell you why when we get to chapter 32 of Jeremiah. We're going to go through a lot of chapters of Jeremiah. right? right. I'll tell you why when we get to chapter 32 of Jeremiah, why I know this is a letter that was written. Right. So this is a letter that's written in response to what's going on. So, so here's what you need to understand. You need to understand. There were some preachers. I know this is hard to believe. They were preaching false messages. I know that's really hard to believe too. They were telling everybody they're going to heaven. They were telling everybody it's going to be okay. They were telling everybody, hey, we, we in exile. we getting ready to go on back to the promised land. Don't worry about it. Right? And and here's what Jeremiah says. This is why nobody liked him. <laughs> but he's in good company. Nobody liked Jesus for a little bit either. Right? He writes this letter, and here's what he says. Oh, i got to get to Jeremiah. 29. Verses 4 through (coughs) 7. This is what the Lord of the armies, my commander in chief, my Abba Father, God of Israel says to all the exiles. So here's the letter. Here's what he's really saying to you guys. Not, Not what you've been hearing. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find a wife for yourself. Have your sons and daughters get married. Have more sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and daughters then. They can even bear sons and daughters, man. What is that like grandkids already? Am I right? I just want to get the time right. All right. And you'll see why in just a second. Well, I want to make sure you got that. Multiply here. Do not decrease. Pursue uh, the well-being of the city I've deported you to. Man, you, you want us to take care of this place? Pray to the Lord on this behalf. For when it thrives, you thrive. For this is what the Lord of armies, my Abba Father, God of Israel says. Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. What God is saying is I'm really mad at what they're preaching to you. And here's why you're going to be here for a long time. You ever been in an area you probably didn't want to be in. Gotten to a stage in life that you probably don't want to be in. And then come to terms with the fact of I'm going to be here. For a long while. My sin, my consequences, my problems, my disobedience, my lack of a desire for obedience because of a false assurance has put me here. And I don't need nobody to tell me, oh, baby, this is just going to be for a short period of time, because the reality is it's going to be for a long time. So long, he said, you better build a house. And they ain't got no construction crews putting them up in 30 days. OK, these ain't no these ain't no neighborhood cookie cutter homes. Right. You got to build them with your hands. Right. I don't want you to build a house. I want you to go find some wives, some husbands, have children. Matter of fact, you're going to be here so long. I want you to then find wives and husbands for your children. And then they gonna have children. Nobody wanted to hear Jeremiah say this. Why? Because it sounded good to know that, oh, this is this suffering is just for a short period of time. Right. That't that what we always tell people. Oh, it's just for a short time. It don't feel like it when you're in it. Am I right? You, 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 you ever you ever sat down with a fellow who spent most of his life in jail and you tell, oh, well, at least you got out and it was for a short period of time. That ain't what he's thinking if he'd been in there 30, 40, 50 years. Spoiler alert, they're going to be there for 70 years. Right? This ain't no small punishment, guys. No small punishment at all. And Jeremiah wants to make sure they get that. And here, here's what he tells them. So He gives them this, this discouraging news, but he wants to make sure they understand, like, this judgment is real. And, and then you get to 10... 10 through 14. I know one of y'all heard at least one of these verses. For this is what Yahweh says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. It's that that sprinkle of hope. It's, yeah, you're going to be here for a long time. But here's the reality. When 70 years is up, I still got a plan for you. And here's what he says. Verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you. Y'all ever use that verse with people? Y'all ever use it rightly? I'm just asking, right? Because I want to make sure. You understand if you're using this rightly, if you're saying it like God is saying it, you got to look at somebody who, who wants to be a bad example. Alan, you right there in the front, right? Alan, the suckiness of your life right now, the misery you were in, is first of all because you caused it, Abba father loves you enough where he's going to punish you and keep you in this for a long time. And that plan is to better you at the end. Now, does that sound as hunky dory as y'all when y'all be telling people, I know the plans the Lord has for me. and It's just all good. Is that the way y'all use it? Just be honest. Shake your head. Say, ouch, if it hurts. Ain't know what Bodie says, right? You got to say, I've used it too." Now understand this, now this is a beautiful picture because of the turmoil that's around it though. So you're not wrong in telling people, and by the way, because so many people try to say, well you know, that was for God's select group of people at a select time. I think God always got some plans for us. You're right? I think some of the hell we go through is because we put ourselves into it and God gonna let us get through that so that we can have the sunshine at the end. You ever notice how bright the sunshine is after a storm? You ever sit out there and it's so dark and gloomy, and then boom, that one little ray shoots through the whole thing, right? You're like, my goodness, that's bright. That's how bright it is that first time, right? But but you had to go through the darkness in order for it to appear that bright, correct? Huh? What what I love is that when I, I read this this week about a flashlight. But what, what I love though is for for us, when when a flashlight goes bad, what you do with it? Everybody be honest. What you do with it? Some of us shake it. That's that's the first thing I thought of too. Ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Come on, Alan. <laughs> you just got to be my test dummy for today, right? No, you ain't, got to, sir. you ain't got to. But you think like if, if Alan, then Alan is my flashlight, right? Oh boy. And he start going a little dim. Now I'm gonna be honest. I'm not quite with you, ladies. That first thing I do is. Like, Again you know what I'm saying? I got got to shake that thing up a little bit, right? So I tap it. If I can pick him up, I tap him against the seat right there a little bit. Right? You got to tap it a little bit. Then you then you shake it cuz you hoping like the battery connection finds this connection again, right? All right, I didn't hit it. I didn't shook it and it still ain't working. Now what we do? All right. hold on. You got that group of people who said it. Sorry, brother. Now why are you gonna throw it away? Now y'all laugh, this is the mentality of people now. Why? (laughs) What you thought I was gonna pick him up and put him in a trash can? Huh? Hey! Hold on, hold on, what you say? Oh, so you're gonna get a better flashlight? Not if you are a flashlight. What's going to happen with that, with that better one? On the same hmm. Right? Now, now what if instead of hitting the flashlight, shaking it, which this ain't bad things to do, sometimes people need to be shook up. Aubrey gave me five dollars and hit me in the back of the head like that. A minute ago, right? <laughs> I did it twice so You owe me ten. Right? So, <laughs> so, 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 so what if, what if we went with the other idea instead of throwing it away? What'd somebody else say? Change the batteries. Right. Now, I can't remember all the things. But, here, but here's what I love. You got you got some so, some flashlights need double a battery. Right. So they just needed some affirmation and some affection, maybe. Huh. Right. Some got triple A. So they needed they needed they needed that and they needed a little attention as well. Right. Some just needed some cleaning because you ain't used them in so long. That you let all that rust build up around where that battery and that springer together, and they just nasty. So you just needed to clean it up. That's all you needed to do. Some of you think, well, hold on, now I got one in batteries. I got one in flashlights using big batteries. That C battery, they just needed you to care a little bit more. That's all they needed. And then that D, but that D's the one you had to shake up. Why? Because it, it needed direction. I'm so glad that God don't throw us away like Mike wanted to. <laughs> I'm serious. So think about it, guys. Are you not glad that God don't throw us water? Aren't you glad we got that? We got a a true, genuine, what'd she say? My husband does it. Your father does it. Aren't we glad that Abba Father is one that'll sit us on the shelf for a little bit longer? Right? Because there comes a time where you're going to have a preacher who's got to tell you the real stuff. You're going to be on the shelf for a long time. But I'm going to get you off the shelf. And I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to shake you up. I'm going to put new batteries in you, whichever size it is that you need at the time, and we're going we're gonna to do something with it. Why? Because because I've had a plan of you sitting on the shelf. I picture that angel asking Abba Father, what, what you doing with that guy for 37 years? He goes, oh, just wait. I got a good ending coming. Right? Because here's what happens. Look at it. Don't go even deeper. We get this, this ray open. Oh, here's what he says. I stopped reading early. Man, I'm so sorry. Y'all got me on verse 11 there. I got to get to verse 14. He says, I will be, here's what he says. You will seek me and you will find me when you search with all your heart. Right. Y'all, y'all ever had people tell you. I, I want what you got. And you tell them "Well, scripture says, if you seek, you will find. Right. My favorite, though, is those people that I tell that to and they'll come back and they'll tell me, man, I've been seeking. But I ain't found. I said, well, what's the problem? And they'll come up with every excuse under the book. I said, see to me that you're seeking for excuses rather than seeking for the Lord. Because what did he say? He said, you will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with what? All your heart. That means there ain't no room in the heart left for doubt. There's no room in the heart left for 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 worry. There's no room left in the heart for all that stuff that you have be coming up with an excuse on why he ain't there. Right? You've been searching for excuses when you're supposed to have been searching for the Lord. Because he says, if you seek me, you'll find me when you search me with all your heart. Then he says this, verse 14. I will be found by you. This is Yahweh's declaration. I will restore your fortunes. I will gather for the nations and I, the place that I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you from. Little, little sprinkles on the ice cream, man, right? Jeremiah's preaching this stuff in the middle of hope or like He's preaching a little bit of hope in the middle of despair. Verse 30, or chapter 31. I ain't going to read them all because I know y'all be checking your times, right? Another famous passage of scripture, though, right? Preaching during one of the darkest moments. Skip down. See, I skipped a whole chapter of 30 for you. Skip down to verses uh 31 through 34. I think that one's on the screen, too, so you should really have it, right? Here's what he says. Look, the days are coming. So he's been preaching bad stuff for a little while. But he gets verse 30 and says, look, the days is coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them from the uh hand and led them out of Egypt. Uh, my new covenant, and they broke it, even though I am their master. So, so what's God saying here? Because I want to make sure you understand. Some people will be reading this and be like, oh, God got plan B. God ain't got no plan B. Understand that to begin with, right? God saying I've made this deal in, in, in the book of Deuteronomy with my people that they obey me. They love me. They follow me. I'd let them stay in the land. They didn't. So I kicked them out of the land. I did what I said I'm going to do. Talking about God, right? He says, but I realize there's a problem with the deal we made. You knuckleheads can't keep it. That's all he's saying. Literally, he's saying y'all can't keep it. So I'm going to make a new, I'm going to make a new covenant for this, for this next stage of my plan. And the new one is this. I'm responsible for keeping it. Now that's good news, is it not? Because we, (laughs) we can't keep them, right? He's saying, he's saying, y'all broke the, y'all broke the law that I wrote on stone. So this time I'm going to write the law where he's going to go into it. I'm going to write the law where on your heart. You you ever have one of them inclinations of the heart that you just, you just can't explain it or stop it. That's one of the things we're like, God God scribbled, God scribbled it on the heart. You're like, man, I, I got to reach out. I watched yesterday, man. I loved it. We going into this, this game and. I'm a people watcher just to be honest with y'all, right? So I'm watching this thing and as we leave it from, from beach going into this game, and you, you got this very distinct uh lady who matches the guy who's behind her, none at all. I mean he's prim, he's proper. You know you know what I'm saying? Like I just want you to paint picture the picture to see, I need you to understand it, right? Like he he's got his little little tennis hat on and, and he's got his his nice shorts and, and all this stuff and and the lady in the front, like she, she not like that. She not like that at all. Like there ain't nothing prim and proper about what's in front, right? And she gets up there and she didn't realize she had to have cash to get in the game. So I'm already thinking, like, lady turn around, like, we, we gonna do what we gotta do, right? This dude though, he does it before I can. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, man, that's, that's what the Lord writing on the heart. Cause like, he ain't looking at the outside. He ain't thinking about this. He's thinking, man, this lady gotta get in the ballgame to see her kid. It's $5. What the do? So he pays it and they, they go in together and you, you got just, just this one little, one little tiny picture like what heaven's gonna be like because you got people who don't look like they go together walking right on through the gates together. You know what I'm saying? And by heaven, I mean the kingdom. So don't get them mixed up because I know I'll interchange them sometimes with you, right? So, but, but, but that's what the kingdom's gonna be like. It's one reason why I love like church, man, like real church. You need a dude who's in like shorts and flip-flops and then you need a dude who's like dressed up because we need, we need all a whole bunch of little different things going on. Right. I mean, I'll tell you, that's what it's got to be. So he gets there and he's writing this thing and he tells them, I'm going to make this new covenant. You know, I'm going to write these words on your heart because you can't break that. I will be their God and they will be my people. Uh, No longer will one teach his neighbor for his brother and know the Lord, for they will know me from the least to the greatest. What he's saying is, man, when you come in contact with people who got it on their heart, like you you ever been around people and you just know they're a believer. Like, you know, they part of the kingdom with you right there. Like you ain't it ain't no question time it ain't no interview time. You like. Boom. You will believe it. Right. And that connection is made. That's what he's talking about. He's saying that that's that's how it's going to be. Right. And that, that's how tight it's going to be. And that's how awesome it's going to be. Salvation is no longer going to depend on your obedience. It's going to it's going to depend on God's and God's going to do his part like he's been doing. Right. So 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 even while he's destroying Jerusalem, he's he's, he's dropping these these things. And he's telling him, I'm not done. I'm not done. And then he gets to chapter thirty two. 32 is like this random. I love 32 because it's my football number. It's my boy's football number. So like it always stands out to me. But I, I had to laugh when I read this 32, right? Because like I, I'm looking at it and Jeremiah's been told by the Lord, I'm destroying everything. Everything gone. He knows what's going to take place in Kings 25. He's writing Jeremiah, by the way, while it's taking place. Maybe I should have split that so you had it in there, right? Everything's being destroyed. Everything's being stolen. And Abba Father goes to Jeremiah and he says, hey. I want you to go buy a little piece of land back there in the land I'm destroyed. Now I'm not the best businessman. I like to think I got a little business but not the best, right? I don't think you buy land in an area that's being destroyed. Call me crazy. You know what I'm saying? That'd be like somebody telling you go down there and buy that swampland because you can never get a permit to do anything with it. It's protected, right? But that's Jeremiah, and he gets this thing, and here, here's what God tells you. verse 15. You guys really ought to go back and read a bunch of Jeremiah. Verse 15 says in this For this is what the Lord of armies, Abba Father, the God of Israel, says Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. What he's telling Jeremiah, he goes, I want you to go purchase this small little piece. Because there's gonna come a day after them 70 years, where y'all gonna come on back. Right? And it's beautiful, man, and it's awesome, and it's, it's a message of hope, and a whole lot of judgment. Right? And, and when you get to Jeremiah 33, by the way, you, you get this lesson. Here's, here's what I want to make sure you got. It. He's writing all this from prison. He's already in prison because his people don't like him because of what he's saying, right? Understand this. People ain't always going to like what you got to hear, or what you got to say for them to hear. They're not. But we need people who are going to say, hey, them shorts ain't made for people with eyes your size. Now, please understand this, because I just thought about this as I say that. You men do not have the right to tell your wife that. If she put on a pair of shorts and you say, them shorts ain't made for people with thighs and size," you gonna get in a heap of trouble you ain't never getting out of. You thought seventy years in exile was bad? You ain't seen nothing, right? Now your women, y'all can tell your man that, and it's all right, because we just get our thighs bigger. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> I don't know why we got a double standard. That's wrong, right? So so here's this final thing. So you got all this prophecy going on and here's how I notice is all God's plan of a man on the shelf, right? Because he's telling Jeremiah all this stuff. 37 years go by and he reminds the writer of Kings. He says, hey, look back at this last little thing that happens and look at what happens. Verse, when well, we have verse 27 of 2 Kings. I'm still in Jeremiah. I'm, I'm going to preach a whole thing on that. All right. Back to 2 Kings 25. We'll finish there. All right. And he tells him, said on the on the 27th day of the 12th month of the 37th year of the exile of Judah's king, Jehoiachin, in the year of Eva merodach became king of Babylon. He pardoned this king of Judah and released him from prison. Here's what I love, guys. I don't, I don't know if you guys remember it. Hopefully, you note takers got it. We only looked at it for a little brief time. When this king first came out, this is why I love this ending. When this king first came out, what did we call him? Anybody remember? Anybody got notes back that week? That had been back at uh chapter 22, maybe? I don't think I wrote down what chapter it was in. Nope, I didn't. Yeah, I did. 22. 22. What did we call it? We called him a despised king. You remember who? Labeled him as despised. You got to get it because it makes the story so much more pretty, man. God. God said, I despise him. He's 18 year old little brat. He is. That's what he is. No need to lie about it, right? He's 18 year old punk. Got this, got this kingdom handed to him. He's being a moron with it. And God said, I despise you so much. Don't forget how much God despises guy now. I almost want to use the word hate, but we can't use that with Lord, right? I despise you so much, you ain't gonna have no kids. You never gonna have a bloodline to take over the kingdom. I'm gonna stop it right now. You wanna know why I think it's so pretty? Because this this king that he des- that God despised that much, that He put on a shelf for 37 years. And he's taken off the shelf now to give us one last picture. And this one last picture is what? What's the very first thing that happens? He's set free. Now did it say he did anything? Did it say he, he earned enough credits to get out? No, it just says randomly, this new king took over, and for some reason he took a liking to this guy. 37 years in prison to change you, right? <laughs> When you was 18 at one stage and now you're 55. Like you's a whole different fella now, right? So so that time period goes on. And and for some reason, he took a liking this guy and he let him out. Now, here's what I want to make sure you understand. This is a lot of hope, a lot of awesomeness, right? His prime years are over, though. So don't be, I I don't want anybody to hear this sermon and be like, oh, we can live like crap for 37 years and it'll be no. No, your prime years is over. He don't get them back. It ain't like he got a time machine, right? He's now 55, right? He he still got a little bit of time left, but it ain't like it was. He's lost all the goodness. Why? Because he enjoyed sin too much, right? So so, so he's got that going on. He's released from this, this prison. He's set free, a refugee, a criminal, set free now. And here's the second thing. Look at verse 28. Verse 28. He spoke kindly to him and set him on his throne over the thrones of the other kings who were with him. Not only is he set free, he's shown favor. That's what it is. He's set free and he's shown favor. For some reason, he goes the extra mile with this guy. Now, this kid, this kid, new king didn't have to do any of this. He didn't have to let him out. He didn't have to be nice to him or nothing else, right? But it says that he spoke kindly to him and set him on his throne above the throne of the other kings. Now, here's what I also want you to understand now, since we're being honest, right? He's on a throne above all the other thrones of kings who are where? And prison. He ain't got no real title, okay? Let's not get carried away with it, right? He, he kind of got like a little, just a little token title. You know, he got, that, he got that participation trophy going on. That's all he got, right? That hurts your feelings too bad. Get over it, right? So, so he's got that going on. This guy's just being nice and doing this. We don't have no reason why. Third thing, look at verse 29, the beginning of it. So J.O. Chen changed his prison clothes. Now, y'all wouldn't think much of that, but I'm going to be honest with you. When you study Scripture, right, this, this is so symbolic. I, I titled it in this section, he, He's Forgiven. Right? Because you may think it's insignificant. You may think no big deal, but I promise you, every time Scripture mentions garments, it, it represents character. Look, look back at it. And check it out, man. It's huge lessons. Filthy garments, wicked and evil. Clean garments, righteous. Joshua himself, as the high priest, when he was being accused by Satan, He used the garment thing. Remember uh, Zechariah chapter three, verses three through four. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. He spoke and said those things standing before him, saying, remove the filthy garments from him. Again, he said to him, see, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with the festal robes. Wow, right? That forgiveness, the parable of of the wedding banquet. You guys remember why they got in trouble? They didn't have the garments on. What are you doing up in here just like that? Revelation chapter 7. One of the elders answered, saying to me, those who are clothed in white robes, who are they? Where have they come from? I said, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Book of Psalms. David writes 96 verse 9. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Now he's talking about your heart. He ain't talking about your tie, okay? He's talking about holy, holy attire. I heard people use that. Use that verse before and be like, see, you're supposed to dress nice to be up in the church. No, you're supposed to be nice in the heart to be up in the church. Right. Understand the difference. The point the point is this. Garments always represent character by the king allowing this this past king to remove his prison clothes. It's way more than him just cleaning up and getting ready to go. It's a change in his status. So he's set free. Right. He's shown favor. He's forgiven. His status is now changing. He's no longer considered a fugitive. Now he's considered a friend. Look at how friends get treated different, right? Verse The rest of 29 and 30. So he finished it and he said this. And he dined regularly in the presence of the king of Babylon for the rest of his life. As for his allowance, a regular allowance was given to him by the king. A portion for each day for the rest of his life. How many of y'all get? Me, y'all get an allowance. <laughs> that ain't no allowance. None of y'all get allowance. Why is only husbands raising their hands? Y'all shouldn't be getting no allowances either. Get a job, huh? If you got an allowance, I'm glad to see we got those spoiled children up in the church. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> If you got an allowance, so doesn't that mean you're part of the family? I'm not giving an allowance to Caleb. I might give him a haircut, but I ain't going to give him no allowance. You know what I'm saying? He ain't mine. I don't give mine an allowance either. They get a roof over their head and food deed every day. They ought to be happy with that. Right? And they got some Under Armour book bags or something the other day, so they're good to go for at least six months. Right? (laughs) Think about what this guy's doing, though. He's now taking somebody out of prison. And he's treating him like a son. Right? That he doesn't have to. Never commanded to. His meals regularly. He got to sit down with the king regularly for the rest of the days of his life. He got this allowance, a portion every day for the rest of his life. This is a never ending thing right here. It doesn't expire, right? So you got a prisoner who's now treated like a son all the days of his life. Look at the duration of this thing. The benefits ain't expiring. He doesn't lose his status, he doesn't lose provision. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what the Lord's gonna to do to us? Right? I mean, think about it. This whole this whole ending, this guy on the shelf, Abba looked at the angel who asked, not a real angel who asked, right? But he looked at him and says, Let me give you one last illustration. The writer of kings is gonna write I know he's not he's not prophesying or anything like that. He's just he's just he's just writing. All I can think of is Psalm twenty three, six, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Forever. Forever. Non-exempt. Not, not, you know what I'm saying? Now some of y'all are thinking, and you're reading this, or you've already read it, and you're like, man, I was a lucky dude at the end. No. I don't think luck had nothing to do with it. I don't think it's a coincidence that God had him there. I really don't think it's coincidence because of all the kings locked up that the writer could have picked out to let free. Why did it have to be the one that God despised the most? Because he's telling us If I despised him more than anybody else and I still did it for him, what do you think I can do for you? What do you think I can do for you? No matter what all you've done, what do you think I can do for you? Jehoiachin is a prophetic picture of Israel. He was a despised king. Israel became a despised nation. No doubt. He was in prison. Israel's in bondage. Right? He was clothed in filthy rags. Israel's covered in iniquity, It said. He had no worth. Neither did Israel. Everything gets destroyed. They took everything. They stole everything. They burned everything, right? Yet everything this, this king, worldly king, does, God as our eternal king, says, I can do for you. I will set you free. I will show you favor. I will forgive your sin. I will put you in new clothes. I will save you forever. It's a beautiful picture in the middle of the ugliest thing ever in life, right? And what I love is it kind of goes against our nature of God. Don't, don't, don't we always think like, well, if we do evil, God's going to give us evil. And if we do good, God's going to give us That ain't the way God works. You know what I'm saying? Like it goes it goes against that very nature of what God does. 2 Timothy chapter 2, <clears throat> 11 through 13. Regardless of how faithful Israel was to God, look at, look at this. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful and he cannot deny himself. Our faith faithlessness can't undo God's faithfulness. And that's what we get at this. This last little picture, God's faithfulness, not being dependent on ours in this new covenant that he writes about with with them. Right. And, and again, not not as a is a thing to get away with anything, but just an understanding, like God still accepts prodigal sons. He's still crazy about restoring people back to to status, changing garments, restoring titles, putting people back in place. So, I, you know, wherever you're at this morning, may, maybe you're part of it, and like you've been hiding, and you need to come on out and quit hiding. Maybe you need your batteries changed, so you keep going. Or, or maybe you need to be made into, not going to buy a new one. Maybe you need to be made into a new flashlight. Right? Maybe, maybe you need all the internal workings changed out. All the springs replaced, batteries replaced. Maybe today guy has got an idea that, that he's looking and he says, You know what? You've been on the shelf long enough. Let me take you down, let me set you free. Let me clean you up, let me show you favor. Let me take care of you all the days of your life. Your 70 years of captivity are over. And today starts a new one. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the tough beginning of this chapter, Lord God. But Lord, I'm so grateful that 37 years later, you inspired this, this writer of Kings. To remind us, Lord God, of a king that you despised but you still had a plan and made a way for him to be set free. Lord, I pray this morning, God, if there's those of us in the room, Lord God, that are hearing these words and need to be reminded that, that you don't throw us away, Lord God. You change out our batteries, you clean out our springs, you you restore life to us. God, I pray this morning that even those that have been growing dim, Lord God, that you put the new batteries in so we can be bright. Lord God, so bright that when the world sees us, they know there's something different. Lord, continue to write on our hearts, Lord God, in the way you promised through the prophet Jeremiah, Lord God. God, write on our hearts so that when we're around those, Lord God, that are like-minded, we connect. God, that when we we have a desire, Lord God, we we immediately have this heart compassion inside of us, Lord God, to to heed to your word, and your law. Lord God, help us to be more kingdom-minded and kingdom-like. Lord, help us to do the work you've called us to do, Lord God, to get this place ready for you. Your great and holy name. Amen.